y'all welcome back i i'm super excited right now i can't even lie uh this is a a long time friend of mine the, tonight's guest uh we've known each other i mean meg we've known each other for what maybe 10 years is that is that give or take right close I mean, it's gotta be close yeah give somewhere or take in there, like between seven and ten somewhere in there Something like that for sure. Uh, well, yeah, uh, Meg Freewalt is here. So everyone, please welcome. Uh, she's she's actually been my wife's friend for like twenty six years or some shit. I, I don't even like since forever, <laughs> essentially. So, Meg, welcome to the show. H- how are you feeling about you know uh, America and life uh, currently? Um. So, as you know, Joseph, I got my master's degree um, at Naropa University and studied mindfulness. Um. And I have never been more grateful for that training than during this year. <laughs> I don't doubt that, dude. <laughs> so it's actually Sarah could probably Sarah, my wife, for those anybody listening, uh, Sarah could probably use some of that mindfulness because right now, for those of you listening, you guys, some of y'all know that I'm moving or whatever. My wife and children are in Colorado right now. I am in Sioux Falls, and my wife is texting me tasks essentially to get done and like meg you know i'm not i'm not getting these things done anybody <laughs> out there you guys know i'm freaking ridiculous so like imagine i feel bad for sarah because she is stuck depending on me and it's i'm guessing it's like if you were to try to help like a grandparent set up a tiktok account but you're in like a different room so like you can't actually you just have to like scream and hope that they listen to me so like it's not going to succeed like a deep, deep down sarah knows it's not I, i'm gonna fuck this up so let's do a podcast guys who's excited i'm excited so, I, Meg, I want to ask you all about South Dakota and the modern COVID climate because, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I mean, we met, you know, a while ago or whatever, and, and you know me for many mistakes I've made throughout our, our friendships. And I, I know you for, for all of your new pants uh, yeah. that have happened, and okay. we've grown close. We, we've grown very close, uh, and our, our millions of followers need to know you the way I know you. So, brace yourself for some hard-hitting rapid-fire questions. Starting right now, Oreos, double stuff? Regular stuff or thin? Thin. Dude, you were the first part. Yes, that is the correct answer. I and just to it. let you know how much of a grandma I am, one of my favorite flavors is pistachio. Gross. Yep. <laughs> you lost me there. That's yep. gross. Yep. Pistachio what? Cream? Is that a thing? It's pistachio Oreos, the thin ones. Yeah. It's Ugh, the least God. cookie cookie there I think they make. That's awful. Seriously. That's why would you, damn it. You were on my side. Like, I've asked this to many people just in casually and usually it's double stuff people. And those people are, Oh wrong. no, I like definitely the cookie part is the best. Like yeah. cream is like meh, but like either regular or thin. Yep. Dude, thin for sure. You can keep that weird flavoring bullshit, but okay. You, you got it right there. Okay. Number two, cats or dogs? Dogs. Yeah. Have you ever had a cat? Uh, like growing up on, on the farm. But they Fair. were like but as long as I've known you, you've never had one, right? No, no. Interesting, because I mean, I like cats, but no, dogs is dogs is the right answer. How's uh, how's pup doing, by the way? Uh, great. Uh, we are taking advantage of those uh, flight benefits, and so she just got to spend a week on the beach in South Carolina. So she's in heaven. Can she like, can she, like fit in your purse? How does that work? Because I mean, she's, she's small not, enough that she can travel in the cabin with me. She just goes under the seat. She's my carry on. Oh, that's interesting. So you really you put her in like a little thing and just leave her right there. She goes through the airport. She goes through security. Yeah. That's friggin' awesome. The last time, this last trip we did, she actually learned to do the moving walkways. She like jumps onto it, walks on the moving walkway, and then like jumps off. Dude, Emmy's still having problems with that. So well done. I <laughs> uh, love it. Um, okay. So next question. Fancy dress up, champagne, pinkies out gathering. 
mm-hmm. or backyard fire pit beer and hanging out gathering. Which are you preferring? Backyard fire pit beer. Yes. Solid. We've had many of those nights and, <laughs> and I've made. I don't know that we've ever had fancy champagne pinkies out events. Those are few and far between for our crew. Not a one. <laughs> Not a one. And okay, most important question here. So know that I'm going to judge you harshly. Which is the better pizza topping? Jalapenos or banana peppers? As a true vegetarian of over two decades, you have to have both. <laughs> Especially oh, after a night of debauchery. <laughs> that is, y'all, anybody listening, uh, all 12 of you, that's an inside joke that goes back years. Uh, Meg is a vegetarian, and she's the first vegetarian I've ever been friends with. And I like I I didn't know what to order, like a vegetarian pizza. Because like, I've never once even said out loud a veggie pizza. So like I just, whenever we would get like, you know, 1 a.m. and we need pizza or whatever, I got Meg, how, how many times in a row did I do this? Because you're just too nice. I got her jalapeno and banana pepper pizza, because that's what I'd want. I don't know. And Meg just maybe took one bite multiple weeks, months in a row. Like, yeah. I, you, you were too kind, is what I'm saying. Oh, Lordy. Um, I'm actually, I'm kind of surprised you're still my friend. All of that nonsense. But also, early on in our relationship, I hadn't known you for maybe a month or two. Do you remember you brought vegan cookies oh, over yeah, to the house one time? I did, and you hated them. Dude, in fact, I, you commented, at least you didn't make them. And when I had, in fact, made them. <laughs> I had assumed you bought them from Whole Foods or some shit. And so I took one bite and I ripped it. I was like, these are awful. Like, these are atrocious. And Sarah, my wife, was like, babe, like, try to be nice. Like, you know, yada, yada, be nice. She's our guest. I was like, yeah, she didn't make these. Like, I'm not insulting her. Oh, I am. Oh, I'm absolutely insulting you. So like, uh, first of all, sorry. Uh, and secondly, um, yeah, you, you know, it's not, it's not my fault. I didn't know. I mean, I should have known better. So but the point cookie is, game has gotten better over the years. Yeah, it, honestly, it has. It absolutely has. So, okay. So Meg, you are a vegetarian from South Dakota, um, yes. which, is, which is, I imagine not very common, yeah. but even more specifically, where are you from? What town are you from? So I technically grew up um, in between two towns, Hitchcock and Tulare. So I kind of claim both of them as home, um, but I graduated from Hitchcock high school, but my family lived more in Tulare and my mom still lives in Tulare. So I'm kind of a hybrid of both. Um, because they're such small towns, they now actually are conjoined. So Hitchcock Tuller is the school. Just Get out of it. Yeah. How many people, I mean, even combined, how many people are we talking? Like in the school or in the towns? Let's say, you know, the township, both Hitchcock and Tuller. We're we talking 20,000 combined? Joseph. 5,000 5, combined? Like 500, maybe. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's amazing. So, I mean... So, my it, graduating it, class was 11 people. That's that's unheard of. Like, you, like, that's... And I know you know that, but, like, for me, it's still hard to process. Like, that is unreal. So, you were the only vegetarian, I imagine. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Dude. And and for those listening, Tulare, South Dakota, is home of quite possibly the best meat locker of all time. Uh, in fact, in fact, even more so. I didn't even have it written down, but like Meg actually likes their beef jerky. That's how good you if a vegetarian likes it, you know it's good. My stepdad is a butcher at the locker, at at the Tulare meat. So it's like literally I go to the source of the <laughs> meats. So it is all of the meats. And I mean, for the record, it is absolutely delicious. But I have seen, I've seen Meg eat meat maybe six times in my life. A couple times, almost every time it was like fish or like crawfish when we went to that Louisiana restaurant or whatever. But then maybe twice legit beef jerky. Like you actually, it's that good. It, it, that's, nah, that's freaking wild. Okay. 
When you were growing up in, in between the two massive towns of Hitchcock and Tulare, <laughs> did you know it was small? Like, is everybody aware at the time? Like, you know, well, you're you're 14, let's say. Do you know that like this this town is ridiculously small? Are you aware of that? No, because it's the norm in South Dakota. You know, like think about how many big cities or towns there are in South Dakota. Like I live in Aberdeen, South Dakota. It's the third largest city and our population is like 30,000. So everybody else in South Dakota lives in these small towns. So for me, it was just, I lived in a small town and all these people lived in other small towns. And that's just how maybe your small town was a little bit bigger, but we were all just from small towns. Yeah. I mean, even your, you know, the bigger small towns like Mitchell's, what, maybe a couple thousand, you know, three, four thousand, maybe, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, they're pretty small. Yeah. Yeah. Besides Rapid and, and obviously Sioux Falls. Yep. And then I, you, I didn't even realize that so you are in the third largest. 30,000 is third largest. Yeah. 30,000 is third. There are subdivisions of some, like that is, like generally that is, that is still wild to me. It, it's honestly hard for me to process. So yeah. like, like high school parties then. I mean, obviously don't say anybody's name or, you know, whatever, but like what, what, what walk me through first, how old were you the first time you went to like a, you know, a, a quote unquote party? Probably like 13, 13, 14. And, and what did you do at, at, at 13? Were you drinking? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And nobody's questioning it. Like that's what, that's what like, there's no one's like, everyone's like, I of think course. Some people didn't. I think some of it depended on if you had older siblings or older cousins, like my older siblings would like take us to parties. But if you were the oldest, you probably waited a little bit until you started going to parties. Um, but like I would tag along with older siblings. Wow. And that's, but the, your older siblings and their friends also brought their younger siblings. Like everybody's bringing everybody. You know what I mean? Like it, what did you, do you ever recall anybody going, Hey, that guy's too young. Like I, I'm guessing like, no. uh, you know, eight, you're not going to bring it like, you know, a fourth grader, but pretty much if you're in junior high, it's, it's all, everybody's good. Yeah. So how old were you the first time? Like, wow. Like genuinely, like this is hard to process. Like how old were you the first time you like got drunk? I was 12. And um, <laughs> yes. So it happened because like, this is the really funny thing. Some of my like el my elementary school classmates and I were just joking about this on Facebook. Um, so I was one of our like dare graduation speakers. The whole sure. like, I will never do drugs and like, you know, <laughs> top of your class. And my older brother, um, Rob, who's three years older than I am, liked to party. And I would always, I was so judgy. And I would be like, how could you do that? Like, that's so terrible. And he was like, well, don't knock it till you try it. So we went booze cruising, drinking vodka orange, orange juice. And I was sitting in the back seat drinking vodka orange juice. And I was so judgy. You know, I'm, I'm a Virgo. That's just part of how we are. And I was in the like snottiest little sister voice. I was like, this is stupid. I don't even feel anything. And so he stops the car and he's like, okay, then get out and walk. And I literally just fell down the ditch, like <laughs> somersaulted down this country road ditch. Um, so he takes me home and he's trying to like get me upstairs to our bedrooms. And like our parents' bedroom is like at the base of the stairs. And I tumble down backwards down the stairs to wake our parents up. And I remember my mom waking up and finding out that I'm so intoxicated um, and I was just miserable. And so she she rocked me on the couch and I <laughs> fell asleep in my mom's lap and my brother got in trouble for getting me drunk. 
And then at age, just started joining the parties. <laughs> at age 12, 13-ish, your mom is just accepting that you, I mean, I guess there's not much you can do. Like, what do you, you know, what do you get to scream? Like, but she, she rocked you on the couch at, you know, at 12, 13, because you were hamboed. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, I couldn't and even get not, up the stairs. And that's not like rare. You know what I mean? Like, I don't mean to insult. It. I just, that's just like having, you know. I mean, some people might've waited. That might've happened for them at like 14 or 16, but for the most part, yeah. Wow. So drinking and driving is just commonplace. It's just accepted there. I mean, as like, obviously you're not getting on the highway. You're not getting on the interstate. You know what I mean? But if you're yeah. on a back road, if you're on a dirt road, it's just nobody really cares. Yeah. Wow. Did you ever like, what was, did you ever have a run in with the cops? Was there ever a bad experience? You know what I mean? Like what, was there ever repercussions to this? I mean, there could be, yeah. I think most of the time the understanding was like, even if somebody got in trouble, it wasn't going to stop the behavior. So it was more about trying to be safe. You know, like the police would be like, okay, we need to get you home. But I mean, they did hand out minors and consumptions, parties and things like that. But like, I never got a minor in consumption or anything. And this is like late 90s, early 2000s, maybe. Joseph, we're the same age. Yeah, but like this is like it sounds like it's the forties in Boston. You know what I mean? It sounds like Jesus, did I age that much? <laughs> but it's, it's, it's it like does, the pistachio Oreos. <laughs> yeah, sorry, grandma. No, but it's it's it sounds like like you know, Officer O'Houlihan, like you know, catches you coming home from the bar swerving, like ah, let me just let me just get you home. I'll just follow you home to you know to your head. This is my Irish accent that I clearly can't do, but yeah, like clearly, it sounds yeah, like um, small town South Dakota cops have Irish accents. Yeah, a lot of Houlihans around around the the Hitchcock two layer. <laughs> you know, imagine a more Viking style like n- nor'eastern. <laughs> but like that's what it sounds like you, nobody's really mad that you were drunk it's not that you were drunk it's like let me just get you home get you off the road and everybody's fine but that yeah. seems like and and for what it's worth the reason i'm kind of i keep angling and, and harping on this is that's a good thing i i think well, I, mean, grow, I, like, I think it's inter- like having grown up in small town south dakota since left and traveled and had different experiences like understanding in different places people use different things to divide right like we as humans do um in South Dakota, like growing up where I grew up, everybody looked the same. So there weren't a lot of like racial minorities or there wasn't a lot of difference. But sometimes the difference was, were you a good kid or were you a bad kid? Like I played sports. I was, I got good grades. So I was a good kid. So when I got pulled over by the cops, I was told to go home. If I had been part of the bad kids, I probably would have been, I probably would have been given a minor in consumption. But that's, uh, for better or for worse, and I don't know, honestly, I don't know morally if that's a good or bad thing, but they actually, the cops more or less knew your grade point average. They, you know, they, they, I'm not saying they knew that you had a B plus in history, but like they knew that you were on honor roll. They actually did. Yeah. Like that's, I think that's a good thing. Thing. There's no reason because, like, it, first of all, I you know I was a good kid, uh, and by good kid, I mean I was a big city good kid. I didn't I didn't drink or do any of that nonsense. Are you kidding? I was in fellowship of Christian athletes. Obviously, it's what so was I. See, fuck you. <laughs> God, this is so. God, it's so wild. The differences in our childhood. It's it's. But like, I, I do like because first of all, we never did anything. It was even like the worst thing we did, and it's on a couple other podcasts. We talked about it. But like, we used to shoot like fireworks out of moving cars, but like stone cold sober, stone cold 
sober. So like if we did get pulled over, like they might be able to give you like a ticket or something, but like there was nothing that they could even take us to jail for. Meanwhile, you are not only underage, but you're also in a moving vehicle and inebriated. Like that's take you to jail style. But had they done that, I mean, they could genuinely ruin your future. You know what I mean? Like that, that, and, and you're just a kid, you're 14, 15, even if you're 17, you're still just a kid. So I think, I think I like that. Now, look, if my kids are ever listening to this, which A, they never will be, but B, if you ever don't do what Auntie Meg just did, clearly don't follow in her footsteps or your mother's footsteps. I was going to say, I there, you there might want to be more <laughs> There you go. Don't, don't follow the South Dakota uh, you know, DNA in you. Follow the, the, the good old Texan FCA father of yours. Just don't, don't worry about me in college. Moving on. What <laughs> just so it's just our kids, our childhoods were just so different, dude. It's it's friggin' mm-hmm. bizarre. Okay, so where you live now, mm-hmm. and what what let's just go here. What do you do now professionally? Yeah, so I work at university at Northern State University here in Aberdeen. Um, it's actually where I did my undergrad. Um, after my undergrad, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I did my undergrad here. Um, I moved to Colorado, went to grad school, and then lived in Colorado for about ten years, um, and came back. Um, so I work in student affairs. And so part of my job is like new student orientation. I do student organizations, student government. So involvement and leadership um, in student affairs housed with the Dean of Students. So you are face to face with kids. I mean, all day, every day, I'm guessing. You know what I mean? You're more like a lot of uh, um, is well in a normal year, non COVID, like I do have a lot of student involvement. Um, but a lot of our stuff is just supporting them and doing educating. So some semesters I teach, I'm not teaching this semester. So that cuts down on things as well. So, um, for the most part as a staff member, um, I'm in a fair amount of meetings. Um, and, but most of the things that I do, I do for my office. So we, um, yeah. So that's kind of, kind of the thing. I didn't realize you taught. What, what classes do you teach when you do teach? Mm-hmm. Um, so in the fall, I'll be teaching a first-year seminar for incoming students. Um, and then I also teach leadership courses. So most recently, I taught in business leadership. Nice. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, the, the obvious question I have is, is masks on campus and in and around your office. You know what I mean? Obviously, you're sitting alone in your own office right now, so you're not wearing masks. But, like, if you were to get up and just go get coffee or whatever, do you have to wear You know, How, how does that work? Yep. So we have a mask mandate. It actually came from the Board of Regents. So all of the there's six schools in South Dakota that fall under the purview of the Board of Regents. And we all have uh, we have different levels. We're at a level three, which means masks have to be worn at any indoor building unless you're alone in like your space um, or you're like eating or drinking. Like there's certain activities. But yeah, as soon as I leave my office to go to my colleague's office, I have to put a mask on. Um, any sort of meetings I have. So that's why I mean my interaction isn't as much because um, all of our spaces have also been reduced to 25% capacity. So we don't have, like a lot of our meetings still happen over Zoom, even though we're technically in person because the the spaces that are available for big groups are, are diminished. You know, like um, now if we have a full division meeting, we're in the largest um, reservable space in the student center. Like we take the largest room just to have our team meeting. And that's how many people? 20? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So in general, though, everybody follows the, the mask rules? 
Yeah, um, the the iffy part where this gets a little tricky is um, that rule is from the university and applies to on campus. So as soon as a student, if a student lives off campus or as soon as our students go off campus, there's no longer a mask mandate because there's no mask mandate in Aberdeen. So we have our locus of control is campus. So in general, then in Aberdeen, like Walmart, you're not wearing nobody's wearing a mask. Technically, they they were. Um, they got a little lax about it. They've kind of started gone back to it, but no. Um, there are certain stores or businesses that require masks, but they are definitely in the minority. That is in Sioux Falls, same thing. Because uh, you know, again, I'm here for like another 38 hours or something. There's a, a Reddit group I'm a, I'm a mm-hmm. part of that's just called Sioux Falls. There's a bunch of Sioux Falls people. There's now an ongoing thread that people are editing and adding on of places that have mass mandates and places that have them but don't follow through and places that have them but don't really check. Like, it, it's it's absurd. The the levels that people are willing to go to to just like get around that. You know what I mean? Like I took my kids to uh, a Halloween store, like literally just called Halloween, you know, those big orange, whatever, like on the door, huge sign, mass required for entry, mass, 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 mask all over the door. You get inside and maybe 50% and we're in mass. You know what I mean? Like at best, like it's what, why, in your opinion, and this is not a fair question. You are not some like liaison for all South Dakotans. Like obviously, and obviously you're slightly different than most every other South Dakota. met. Why is that? Why are people so egregiously anti-mask? I think some of it is it's become a politicized Peace, you know, um, South Dakota is a very red, conservative, Republican state. In that, you also have to look at the the behavior and rhetoric from our governor. Governor Nome is very following very close suit with President Trump on as far as how she's approaching this. Um, I think yesterday yesterday was Veterans Day, and for the, I think it's the first time I've seen a photo of her in a mask since the pandemic began. I haven't seen her in one ever. No, she was at a Veterans Day event yesterday and she actually had a mask on. But um, even the the recordings they've done, um, which we could get into like the murkiness of that, because the the secretary of health um, that runs the state department of health um, is also doing fundraising and campaigning for Governor Nome. And so Governor Nome has had these fundraising socials that the secretary of health that runs our state department is helping to host and no masks are required and no social distancing. So there's a lot of mixed messages. The department of health will come out and say like masks are good, wear them around other people, but then you don't see our elected officials doing that. So I think that's that's part of it. The other part of it, I think is that. So recently I went and visited our good friend in South Carolina. Um, South Carolina is also a conservative. I mean, it is home of Lindsey Graham, like, right, like is is deep red. But as soon as I got off the plane, it was like night and day. And and I was trying masks were required. And I would try to ask people, like, is there a mask mandate? And they they would tell me the rules. (laughs) They were like, oh, well, if you're going to be outside, but in close proximity with people, you have to wear a mask. And if you're going to go into a restaurant, you wear a mask. And but I was like, okay, but but how do you know the rules? Like who yeah. set the rules? And nobody could, they were like, well, it's just what you do. And so our friend Joe and I were having this conversation of like, what's the difference? 
like both South Dakota, South Carolina, conservative red Republican states, but very different approaches to the whole mask and social distancing thing. Like, what's the difference? And I think Joe was talking about how much of their economy is focused around tourism and hospitality. So like, it's about, you got to make it safe for people. So our, you know, it's about hospitality of doing what's good for other people. Like that's also a part of like Southern culture. In South Dakota, there's this, this culture of like rugged individualism. I mean, think about the people who choose to live in South Dakota, which is one of the coldest fucking places in the country, right? Like it is not easy to live in South Dakota. Like it's not easy to live in South Dakota with the weather. A lot of our folks are farmers. That is not an easy lifestyle. So people who are in South Dakota are hardy people. They just are. But part of that, their identity is also this rugged individualism, like freedom. And so the culture of South Dakota in that way is very different than the culture of South Carolina. So even though it's like a politicized issue, it also you have to look at the culture. Like even another example is like Utah. Utah, another conservative home of, you know, the Church of Latter-day Saints. They have a Republican governor and they just put in a mask mandate. But part of it is they also have a a large portion of, of Mormons and a huge part of the Mormon faith is service to others, consideration of others. So for me, when I've like try, been trying to figure this out, like, yes, it's politicized. But even with that, you see some Republican governors and, and officials parting ways with like that, that political view of it. And I think it comes down to sort of the cultural characteristics of different places. And in South Dakota, like rugged individualism is like key, kind of like Texas. hundred percent. In fact, <laughs> I was talking to a guy in Pierre, and I'm not gonna say his name, just, you know, because if you don't want to be involved in this bullshit podcast, I understand <laughs> when, when stuff first started going down and COVID first hit and you know, we were just like talking and, you know, had a couple beers. And I was like, man, so like what happened? Like, you know, society shuts down. Like it's going to be pretty scary. Like, what do we do? Like, it's going to get kind of weird if society shuts down and he goes, eh, who really cares? We'll just go hunting trap a couple of deer and you know, that, that'll survive for the winter. And like, it hit me like right then of like how much they don't give a shit. I, the, 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 the proverbial South Dakota and I, I will be okay. I can survive off the land. I will do fine by me. It's well, not, we will make it through this together. It, it's a, a, lot it's a of, giant change. Even in South Dakota, like I know that our towns and cities seem like pretty small compared to like actual metropolitan areas. But there's still a very big difference between towns in South Dakota and like rural communities. In rural communities, you're not in large gatherings often, like just by the very nature of it. You're with your family, your extended family, small group of friends. There might be 10, 15 people at the bar. So when CDC guidelines said 10 people, for the most part, that's fine. Like, or the CDC says be outside. For the most part, I farm outside. I'm outside. I think now that's starting to shift because as we both know, South Dakota is leading <laughs> leading the country in per capita cases of COVID-19. And even in my hometown, I've started to see people's perspectives shifting on it because for so long in the Midwest and especially in rural South Dakota, we were isolated. Like COVID was an issue in New York City. COVID mm-hmm. was an issue on the coasts. And we, I think we had this idea that we were sort of 
protected from it. Like our lifestyle protected it, us from it. And I think that's no longer the case. Coupled yeah. with the idea that this was a, a hoax or a politically driven <laughs> phenomena um, and that November 4th, it would go away. And actually, um, I wrote down that um, yesterday we had 112 new patients admitted to the hospitals in South Dakota, and that's a new record. So our numbers are increasingly going up. Yesterday, we also had a 56.3% positivity rate. Good. That means one out of two people, more than one out of two people that got tested for COVID were positive. The CDC uh, recommendations and the WHO recommendations are that COVID is contained in your area when your positivity rate is less than 5%. <laughs> our positivity rate in South Dakota hasn't been less than 5%. Like ever, ever, since, dude. Since it hit us, yeah. And so, yeah. I'm not going to say the name of the school that my kids go to. It's a great little school. I love it. I have no problem with it. You know, whatever. Literally twice a week, we get an email saying that another kid tested or another teacher tested or another entity. You know, we're going to shut down for a little bit. Just come get your kid. Yeah. Blah blah blah. Literally twice or three times a week. It, I'm not, by no exaggeration, I'm not like it's not, yeah. not for effect. That's actually happening, and I'm sure it's happening at every other school and every other organization. Yeah. Period. That's just happening in the Midwest because, for some reason, I mean, for all the reasons you just said, between the hoax and and the you know maybe sunlight will cure it or whatever. But he, here's my other question: mm-hmm. Why is it? That if you go in a place where some people are wearing masks and some people are not wearing masks, why is it that the people that are not wearing masks always look very unhappy? Like the the places I go where there are people not wearing them, like they just look like miserable bastards. Like wh- nobody's not wearing a mask and like smiling and happy. Like it's only the people that just look like pricks that are not wearing the masks. Why is that of all reasons? I think mask has become the the visible way to see the divide of our country. Mm. Like it's interesting. Um, so my brother, um, I come from a large family. My brother is a manager at a gas station in a in a smaller community in South Dakota. Um, our mother has lung disease, and so for us, very early on, we took COVID seriously because of our mom's condition. Like very her her pulmonologist was very clear with her that this is serious for her and, and something she p- most likely wouldn't survive. So for our family, regardless of political views, which were all across the board, we took it seriously because it, it hit home, right? It hit home for us because of our mom. So my brother is actually pretty conservative, pretty Republican. We go, we go back and forth, we banter, um, but he's always been adamant about wearing his mask. And he was sharing with me that people have been like, oh, so you're a socialist now? Purely based on the fact that he wears a mask, as he interacts with probably 200 people per day, oh, and he yeah. makes food at this gas station, and he's wearing a mask. And there's not there's few people that, you know, have a perspective of like, thanks for taking that measure. But overwhelmingly, it's like, oh, so are you a Democrat now? Are you a socialist? So... I think the mask has become a way to put people in boxes. Like if you wear a mask, I now know all of these things about you. And there's like this cognitive dissonance of like, you can typically walk into a gas station and you're not faced with somebody's political stance or beliefs on the world, right? It's just a human, it's a person. You can have a friendly conversation. Now, if you wear a mask, I have to assume that you're entirely different than me and we're opposing. Like the divisiveness of the country 
um, I think has now been symbolized by mask wearing. So yeah, people, I, I like you could take it a step further into like the other things that are happening in our country with like racial justice, political divide. Like now, oh, if you wear a mask, I assume you're a Democrat. You might be a socialist. Uh, you probably support Black Lives Matter. You stand for everything that I don't stand for. So instead of just being able to go into a store and see my neighbors or see people, I now see the divide. And it's like a constant reminder of the division that exists in our country. So how am I going to be happy? Even if I'm wearing a mask, I'm looking at you not wearing one thinking you're an asshole. And you're looking at me wearing one thinking I'm like a Nazi socialist, which I'm not even called. So (laughs) yeah, no, yeah, really like, yeah. Dude, it's, it's become like, it's just supposed to, and I'm stealing this from somebody else's tweet or meme or whatever, but like, it never should have been sold as a mask protects others. Americans aren't about that. Like, we, you know what I mean? Like, it should have been a mask protects you, but it's become, and I only just think of this, but like, it's become a scarlet letter mm-hmm. of sorts. I mean, it's certainly around here. And I mean, that, that yeah. Sioux Falls has a Trump train that still, still drives around with Trump flags every night, honking horns and such, and guaranteed none of them are wearing a mask. And that's not fair. I'm sure there's plenty of Trump voters that like the positive things that embody the Republican Party and also wear masks. I'm sure those exist. But just the ones that have become the the poster child mm-hmm. or whatever, they're the, yeah, the, the anti-maskers, you know, yeah, I'm not a snowflake, blah, blah, blah. Like, that, that's, yeah. wow, it's staggering. Like, that, that, that's... That that's where we've come to uh, is is ridiculous. But what we've also come to is this week's quiz. Uh-oh. Uh oh, get excited! So we do uh, we do a quiz every week. the The title of the quiz is an acronym. So this week we have the miserable anti science Karen quiz. It's it's mask. You get it. Um, also, you already got the first uh, question. What state has the most COVID cases uh, per capita? So you already got South Dakota. Yep. Do you know? So you already got number one. Do you know what state is number two? Uh, I believe it's North Dakota. It is North Dakota, madame. So we're killing it. Yeah. We are. South B and North D are on fire. What state, uh, not per capita, not per capita. We're just talking numbers, straight numbers. What state has the most cases? And this is according to covid.cdc.gov. Mm-hmm. And according to, as of this morning, I checked it again. Yep. What state has the most cases overall? I believe it's Texas now. Hey, Texas. They are now opening um, temporary morgues because their morgues are Bruh. full. We are overflowing with dead people because yeah. of COVID. Yeah. yeah. Again, That's, rugged individualism. Dude. Wild Texas, West. I don't like need it. you. Lone star state. Lone. Loner. I'm a, I'm a lone wolf. Sure, I, I, I can't breathe because my insides are on fire because I have COVID, but I'm a lone wolf. Like it's just it, that, but that really is. But it's also, it's ridiculous because, like you said, Utah is very pro mass because, you know, Mormonism and community and helping others. But both Texas and South Dakota mm-hmm. are ridiculously Christian. Yeah. Southern Baptist or Catholic. I mean, swap it north to south. North is Catholic, south is Baptist. That's just how it goes. But it's the same thing. W- what happened to love your neighbor? What happened to, where does all that well, go? You know my what I mean? neighbor, but not like. All the neighbors, you know, oh, like it's like my neighbor who looks and talks and sounds like, like me, my small community, my small, fi- you know, I think it's just different. Fuck, You're right, though. God, that's scary. That's scary. But at least 
That's not, that's not even at least it's sad. It's fucking Texas. I, I have so much like Texas is getting better. We almost turned blue. Like there was like 40 something yeah, percent. We're, we're, getting close. we're getting close. Man. I mean, but, but at least Texas can't even pretend to play the South Dakota card, which I bought. Like when we were living in Pierre, when, when shit first kicked off, I was like, well, there's nobody around here. Like, most people in Pierre don't leave Pierre, so odds are we're not going to interact with other people, so no one's going to get COVID because where is anybody going? So it's fine. Texans don't have that luxury. Like if you're in Texas, odds are you're going to interact with somebody from Houston or Dallas or Austin or San Antonio. You know, play giant metropolitan. South Dakotans did at least for a bit have that like insulation. Like, look, there's nobody around. Like, you know, there's nobody coming here. That we're not a tourist state. Yada yada. Except until Sturgis happened, well, which. And brought people from all over the country and maybe either brought it to us or shared it, you know, whatever. Like Sturgis was a huge spreading event. Well, and not only that, we also had um, President Trump's July 3rd yep. visit. And Governor yep. Nome has been literally used some of our federal CARES funding, CARES Act funding to promote tourism to South Dakota. So you have to look at, we started in July with President Trump's um Merca rally at the Merca. at you know <laughs> hell Merca yeah Mount Rushmore we had the Sturgis rally um and and then we we moved into like hunting season and we just continued encouraging not only that but also encouraging people to move here um so it's interesting because I think when when the pandemic started people would be like well maybe South Dakota is the best place to be because there is nobody around. And now, like, for example, um, as you know, I run a small food business at Sturgis and people mm -hmm. were like, how could you do that? Or like I travel and people are like, well, you take this seriously. How could you do that? And for me, the reality is like everything you do once you leave your house has risk. Absolutely. In the pandemic, that's true. But the way in which you do things. So my staff, so myself and there were six of us, there were seven of us out there this year. Um, you yeah, run a, a food business just to just food to, you know, business at a campground. We stay in a camper. Um, we were pretty good. We had plexiglass. We sanitized frequently, you know, um, some mask wearing. We all stayed in the camper and we did. None of us went into Sturgis. We stayed at the campground. We stayed in our camper. We kind of just hung mm -hmm. out with each other. And you were there two weeks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was there two you weeks. You didn't go involve yourself with anybody. You didn't mingle no. at all. Like we, you know, just with our crew and that's the decision we made. We talked as a staff before Sturgis and talked about how can we do this safely? Um, and half of us that came were from Colorado. So on the way home, they stopped and got rapid tested and they were all negative. Wow. So seven of us were in Sturgis for two weeks and nobody tested positive because we took measures. We sanitized, we frequently, you know, and like traveling. It's so it's the way in which you choose to do things that factors into the risk you take as well, because the reality is in South Dakota, I could also just go down the street to the bar in Aberdeen, not wear a mask, not social distance and be right next to other people and probably be more likely to get COVID than I did traveling to South Carolina or other places I've traveled since the pandemic. Hundreds of miles away. Yeah. Safer than just going down the street. So it's, so in a way, I think Governor Nome is accurate in saying that you have personal responsibility for the way that you do things. The dangerous thing is combining that with this rugged individualism and not wanting to give into the man. You know, because yeah, I we went out to Sturgis, but we took personal responsibility for the way that we engaged and we stayed in our camper. And there were folks that I saw like, 
bikers that go out to Sturgis every year, they came, they stayed at the campground, they stayed at their camper. We didn't even see them come down for food. They'd ride their bikes during the day and then be in their camper. So see, that's fine. There are ways. It's not the the event. It was the big crowds, the lack of masks, the non-social distancing. So it's the the behaviors that you engage in in those things. And I yeah. think that's the problem is the behaviors. Hmm. That's wild. I mean, it is not wild. It, it that's it's honestly simple mathematics. Yeah. It, it, if you and your your circle keep close and keep masks, like it's not that. It's not that crazy. It's not that hard. I, I hesitate to say it's not that hard because, I mean, first of all, wearing a mask is not yeah. that hard. Like straight away, it's not that hard. But like that, it took some planning. You know, so I mean, I, I don't mean to demean the, the attempts that you made. Like those are very real attempts. You, but it's not, it's not like these were some crazy over the top measures you had to go through. Like it was well, relatively simple. And it's not foolproof. Like we could have done all those things and still have gotten COVID because sure. that's, you know, it, it is a pandemic. There are people who wear masks everywhere and somebody in their family has still gotten it. Like it, it's not, you know, it's not a hundred percent effective, even if you do those behaviors, but it's interesting to me because, you know, and I've seen that quote, like if at the end of this, they find out mask wearing didn't work. Like, what was I out? Hmm. Hmm. But if at Nothing. the end of this, we find out that mask wearing, mask wearing was like even 75% effective. And that means I didn't infect other people. Absolutely, mm -hmm. that's worth it. So worst case scenario, I was slightly inconvenienced for some months. Yeah. And slight. as somebody whose mom would absolutely die from this, I would think that most people could be slightly inconvenienced to save my mom's life. Yeah. And that's, and I'm not going to say my friend's name. I love this guy. But he, you know, we, we kind of got into it the other day. Uh, and he was like, well, dude, we're both young. We're both in shape. We're both fine. Like, well, it's fucking, you know, what's the worst going to happen if you catch it? And I was like, well, I mean, look, first of all, I mean, you know, I, I work out for eight minutes a day. So like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty shredded, but I, it's that I could give it to either you or your mom at the grocery store or somebody's grandma mm -hmm. at the gas station. That's what scares me is that we're just collectively sacrificing old people, you know, just to continue living whatever lies we're living like that. That's yeah. the, the lack of empathy is what stuns me because, and, and to be clear, you know, I've, I've lived in South Dakota for, you know, two, almost three years now. I've been in and around South Dakota, knowing families and my wife for well over a decade. South Dakota people are some of the nicest people I've ever met. Mm -hmm. Like genuinely some of the nicest people I've ever met, but it does, it comes back to that. I'm going to, I'm going to steal that phrase. Cause I like it. It's that rugged individualism. It's that I will be fine. You do you. Cause I will be fine. And that's Texan too. And I'm sure it's Florida. You know what I mean? Pick any of the super spreader states. I'm sure it's all very similar. I'm going to get mine and fuck you if you die. It's kind of scary. Which is, <laughs> wow. Which is interesting because like, you know, I think that's also the entrepreneurial spirit, right? Like that individualism, like work hard. Um, but I thought it was interesting. So um, I've still continued to support like local businesses and do things like that. I don't go eat, but I'll go get food to go yeah, or things like I'm that. Taking. But I do go to my stylist and I get my hair done and get lashes done and stuff like that. Like she wears a mask. I wear a mask, you know, cool. We sanitize. Mm -hmm. Like I fully trust her. I also know her as a person, but we were having a conversation recently just this week about the number of clients that she's had canceling because they, they are either positive for COVID or somebody in their household is. So we've had this idea that shutdowns or mandates are going to hurt or destroy the economy and businesses. 
And what I'm hearing from businesses is that they're having to close because so many people have COVID, they, they don't have clients or they don't have employees to work. So it's sort of like the irony in that the we need to not have mandates or shutdowns or restrictions to save the economy. But by doing so, we're actually harming small businesses. We're spreading it so like much. Like the Walmarts and the Targets, they're going to be okay. Be yeah, but be okay. my sole proprietor stylist, who half of her clients are canceling, and, and it would be one thing if immunity lasted, right? Yeah. Like if we tried to do the herd immunity, but when immunity is lasting maybe 90 days. So I had a I had somebody explaining this to me in Aberdeen. If if we went with the herd immunity idea, if everybody in Aberdeen got COVID, we would have 140 people die. Like based on the statistics of how many people die, whatever. 140 people. That would be impactful for our community, right? But maybe if we knew that like after that we're good, but the reality is that in 90 days, we would all be able to get it again. Yeah. So then would you have another 140 people die in 90 days? And then, you know, so herd immunity, just even based on the fact that you can get it more than once, doesn't seem like it's even possible. It's horrifying because that was the original intent. And a lot of people that still believe that and a lot of say I, I've got customers and family in Texas that believe like, oh, well, you know, it will all hit a wave and we'll move along. But it's like, that, that's not, if that's how it worked, I get it, but it's yeah. not, it, it's not at all. And, and, and it, it comes down to leadership. I think, uh, honestly, like if our leaders were willing to take it seriously and so many other countries that paid their citizens to stay home. Yeah. Whereas we did, you know, we gave everybody 1200 bucks and not even everybody got it. And like it went once. And then six months later, here we are, you know, if we actually did that and everybody shut down, I think that'd be fine, but we're not going to do that. So here's the question. Is there any type of a leadership Republican or Democrat that would ever unite the country or even just South Dakota mm -hmm. behind the idea of staying home? Do you think that's even possible? If no one came out tomorrow, I was like, all right, everybody, we're doing it. Would people even listen? I think at this point, like we we missed that opportunity. And like I have certain opinions about President Trump, but I, I, as the elected official of our country at the time, he missed that window. I feel like he made a choice on how he wanted to approach it. And he created a clear division in the sand, if you will. But the rhetoric and the narrative around mask wearing, because even when he got COVID, that could have been an opportunity for him to backpedal. Right. He could have been like, whoa, I was wrong. Like, we need to take this seriously. He had that opportunity. So he had an original window and just blew past it. And then he has another opportunity when he catches COVID to be like, whoa, let's take this serious. Like, I'm scared. Like, But again, he like he doubled down yeah, he on the division that he had created. Like, it's not that big a deal. Well, it's not that big a deal when you have access to yeah. treatment that hasn't even been approved by the FDA yet. And like. Most people don't have that. Not to mention free treatment, free treatment, socialized free. medicines. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like the impacts because in ways that people don't even realize. So, for example, um, this has happened in South Dakota is because some of our hospitals sometimes haven't had the capacity because I, and this may not be correct. So but this is what I've heard is that um, some of the numbers that are reported are per state. But, but when you look at things like Sioux Falls, Sioux Falls sits close to Minnesota, Iowa, and Nebraska. 
So how are those numbers calculated? Like if a Nebraska resident comes over to Sioux Falls and is hospitalized at Avera, where are they counted? And so sometimes what was happening is people, um, a man who passed away from COVID who really pushed this is that he was actually flown to another hospital because he was told there wasn't a bed. I don't know about your health insurance, but mine surely is not 100% covering me being flown someplace. So now instead of just going down the road for hospitalization, which is still going to be spendy, I'm now paying for a helicopter ride over state lines to get treatment. So it's now becoming even more expensive to get COVID because you may have to like fly to further distances which is why, especially for rural communities, which in the whole thing with South Dakota, when um, the pandemic happened and our uh, Native American tribes closed the reservations to travel and Governor Dome basically started a whole thing about it, like they were approaching it very intelligently. Like the, the access that they have to medical resources wouldn't be able to support an outbreak in their rural community. And that's what we're seeing now. And it's like those projections were there, but they were ignored, not only ignored, but criticized. And and I mean, for as little as I know about reservation living, the standard of hospital, if there even is one in their res, like it's low. So I mean, that, that really could decimate, if not literally completely destroy an entire town in, you know, a matter of weeks. Wow. That's crazy. And you also that's have a- to think about like when this all started is that President Trump put the onus for getting supplies, ventilators, PPE, et cetera, on the governors. <laughs> but what does so that sad. look like for tribal nations that are technically sovereign? Yeah, when technically, they go up against, they go up to bid for ventilators against California, who's winning? So in the way that Trump set up that whole system of competition against States competing against states to get ventilators and PPE. Like it just set up inequality. This this podcast is America's number one most conservative podcast. So I'm going to need you to add a little bit more respect to Donald Trump's name. Uh, He is POTUS, respect the position. Add a little respect to it. Put some spec on that name. Yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. Dude, because South Dakota, and I looked this up, 61% of the presidential South Dakota vote this year was Republican, which is actually the lowest it's ever been, which, yeah. which was impressive. I mean, that's a, that's, you know, that's a sign. But you know what else was surprising to me? And I'm, I, my question is going to be, wasn't surprising to you. Medicinal marijuana in South Dakota passed at 69.9%. 69 yeah. point, basically 70%. Mm-hmm. Basically 70% of, of South Dakotans said, yeah, we should do weed. Like that's, Clearly, more than just the Democrats. It's actually more than double just the Like, did that surprise you at all? No. Really? Um, no. I think actually, because a couple things, like growing up in South Dakota, Democrats are not the only people that smoke weed. Like, let's just get that out of the way. Like, you might do your thing, but like, if you can anonymously vote in support of it, okay. So I think there's that. But here I think, because I believe that, um, marijuana legalization has been in on the ballot in South Dakota before and has failed. But I think multiple times. So when I was looking at it, like what was the difference maker? I think the difference maker is that a lot of our farmers would like to explore the option of growing hemp. And Governor Nome has repetitively pushed back and denied that option. 
like refusing to legalize hemp growing. But it, it comes back to like, why would she do that? You know, she supports our farmers. Our farmers are looking for other avenues of like growth and like trying yeah. to get ahead of the game, right? New cash crops. Exactly. But um, Governor Nome's husband is a federal crop insurance salesman. And regardless of what South Dakota decides, as a federal crop insurance salesman, my understanding is he would not be able to insure crops that are not legal at the federal level. That is 100% correct. I was actually angling towards that. I'm not going to say his name, but a buddy of mine in a town where you grew up, or at least near where you grew up, because I don't understand how any of that shit works, because we're all so tiny, you should all be one down. Anyways, he does crop insurance. And he, we were talking about it the other day once it got passed, because he was he's already wondering, because he doesn't do federal, he just does yeah. uh, state. And he's already, he and his boss are like, so can we or can't we or yada, yada. But yeah, Gnome's husband can't. So she's been pushing against it simply to line her own pockets. Fuck Everybody in my state, all of the farmers who have land, all of the ranchers who have the property that could make this work and make it work for the entire state, fuck all them because I have more money in my paycheck. That's our leader. So, I, and I don't know this, but when I've like spent some time thinking about why would it pass now when it hasn't passed previously is I think there's a, a legitimate argument from our farmers and ranchers that would say, if it's legal to smoke weed in this state, it better damn well be legal for me to grow hemp. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, so I think part. I think my if I had to make a guess, I think that would be the difference maker between this ballot initiative and previous ones is that I think our farmers and ranchers are really looking for this opportunity. You know, it's been and why wouldn't they? Absolutely. Like I hear this from some of my friends from back home that are definitely conservative, you know, right leaning folks. Um that would like to grow hemp. And it, and it's not like I'm going to grow weed for you so you can go get high. Like hemp has so many, yeah. like you can make rope, you can make paper, you can paper. make practical. Like, uses I'm, I'm going to grow stuff that makes paper. Like I can grow a tree that makes paper. Why can't I grow hemp that makes paper and that's more sustainable. So, you know, but I, I, I'm anticipating that there's an argument of like, okay, if we can smoke weed in this state, we can grow hemp. Yeah. And that provides our farmers with a huge opportunity and for Huge. Governor Nome to say that we made the wrong decision, when she talks about the 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 will of the people and all of this, it sort of felt a little bit like the will of South Dakotans as long as it aligns with what she would like. As long as they agree with me. 70%. But yeah, it, it's staggering. But I admit, and I'm glad that you didn't find it surprising because almost everybody I talked to did find it surprising. Really? I didn't. Dude, I was, I bet Sarah, uh, I was like, babe, I guarantee you it passes. I bet like she's got to pay up once I move down there. I get a whole night off with the kids. What, what? Yeah. <laughs> I guaranteed it because everywhere you look, no matter what yard, because even in Sioux Falls, like it, and Sioux Falls was still like 65% Republican. I think I looked it up as well over 50%, 55 or 60% Republican voting as, as a, as a city. But no matter where you looked, if yards had Biden signs mm-hmm. or they had Trump signs, they still had vote yes on a and vote yes yeah. on 26. It, it's the only thing I could find that united Bideners and Trumpers was like, well, fuck, yeah. we might at least have legal weed. So here's my question. Once everybody does start smoking and everybody that might, you know, that's not clear, you know, Bertha at church this week is not going to go fucking get high next week just because of that. But the people that will try it because it is now legal and they might not have otherwise. Does it give you any hope that it might 
help propel a, a, a future of more caring, I dare say liberal, because you know what I mean, it's South Dakota. Yeah. But will South Dakota become more, you know, they, do you see a positive future of that beyond just the, the, the cash crop and the hemp and the money and the taxes and blah, blah, blah. I mean, socially, <laughs> do you see any hope for the future socially for South Dakota now that weed is going to be legal? Well, I think a couple different things. So like my mom, my mom grew up in small town, South Dakota, has lived in South Dakota most of her life. We were having conversations and we have conversations sometimes about like the political divide and like how to make sense of it, of like people we love and care about doing shitty things to each other because of political divide. And we're like, what the bleep is happening? And like, my mom is like pretty open-minded about most things, but it still shocked me because we were talking about this political divide and she was like, I just kind of stay out of it anymore. Like, it's just too much. I don't talk about politics. Like it's just so much hate and division. And then she's like, well, let's just hope these, what'd she say? Like, let's just hope these pot measures pass and maybe everybody will just chill the fuck out. (laughs) So my mom's on board. She's, she's suggesting you might be onto something. That's um, what I want. I want that. I think that's because, again, like I said, every South Dakotan I've ever met personally. Yeah. I've been some of the nicest people I've ever met, genuinely, person. Now, with larger groups and a couple of festivals, and, you know, every there's a dickhead everywhere and drunkies. And whatever. But, I mean, one-to-one, I, I, every South Dakotan I've met has been super nice. Yeah. But they're almost always a bit more conservative than I am. And that's fine. Yeah. That, that's fine. Obviously, gay marriage is not a huge thing around here. You know, those type of social issues. But I think with people like your mom and anybody else that might maybe get a little high and start to question that, I think there is a future there. At least I hope so. Do, do you see that too? Well, I also think, I think there's some of that. And I don't know that I directly connect potential for South Dakota to be potentially more open-minded necessarily to this. But I think this is maybe indicative of some changing mindset. Um mm. I think in South Dakota, there's some few things. So I lived in South Dakota most of my life, moved away for 10 years and came back. And South Dakota is some ways very same, very much what it's always been, and in some ways different. Um, There is far more diversity happening in South Dakota than there was when I grew up. Um, Mm. You're seeing like some refugee resettlement programs. You're seeing people moving in. There's just difference. You know, there are people of different racial and ethnic identities moving into South Dakota. But you're also seeing more openness around LGBTQ identities um, and things like that. Um, We just at Northern, there was a survey um, that was done about a variety of things. But one of the things demographics that was surveyed was students got to answer around their their LGBTQ identity, their sexual orientation. Um, And predominantly folks reported, you know, I'm heterosexual. But around 10 to 15% of our students identified as LGBTQ. So 20 years ago, there's no way. In Aberdeen, South Dakota, and granted, it was like, it was predominantly more first year students, and there was only around 500 responses. So, you know, if we had gotten responses from all of our campus, that could have fluctuated. Yeah, but still, 15% of it's our students. Still- like that's that's huge. Here on our campus, um, we're a Division two school. About thirty three percent of our students are student athletes, and so when I look at that and I think about the number of resources and things that we allocate to our student athletes, that are, they're only, you know, that we dedicate so many resources and accommodations and are so prideful about our athletes, but about half as many students on our campus are LGBTQ. So if you're looking at 33% are athletes 
and around between 10 and 15% are LGBTQ, it just puts things in different perspective. It does. That's a a huge category. By comparison, that's a huge category. So I I think young people are shifting and changing. And I think part of that is like when I grew up pre-Facebook, pre, you know, like you still have to dial up to the internet to get on your aim. Um, (laughs) um, our Our young people don't have that. Like they connect with other people across the country and across the world. And they're exposed to different worldviews and viewpoints where when I grew up, you were only exposed to the worldviews and viewpoints of your small town. Hmm. And I think our young people are shifting and changing the landscape of our country, including more rural places. I love that because you're right. I mean, the idea of like growing up personally in Austin, Texas, even pre-internet, I was exposed to a lot, you know, whatever. Like you go downtown, you go to a concert. Like I remember the first time I went to a a punk rock show and the bass player was black and the drummer was Asian. And I remember being like, holy shit. I didn't know they're like punk rock. Like, you know, this was just like 15 year old idiot white kid me going like, oh, not just white people listen. Like I was 15. Whereas nowadays you're 10, you're online, you're exposed to Mm -hmm all cultures. I mean, you know, obviously you pick and choose where you go, but like you have access to that. So, I mean, I think, wow, I really like that because moving forward, that might be a huge change. I mean, and not Democrat, Republican, but just the idea of acceptance, just the idea that things different than you. Yeah. Regardless of who your neighbor is, your neighbor's probably not a dick. You know what I mean? Like the the, the odds are, and and that's where every, anywhere I've lived, that seems to be, that's awesome. Cause I mean, and no, go ahead. No, and, and so I work in higher education. That's where I've primarily had my career. And I tend to, I'm a very data-driven, I'm a nerd. I love looking at data. I love doing it. And so every report that comes out, I'm like consuming it. And in higher education, including in South Dakota, we're looking at in the next five to 10 years, an enrollment dip. Like people were just having less kids. The recession, you know, we had less kids in a recession, which means 18 years later, there's less kiddos to go to college. So institutions of higher education look at these numbers. But what we're seeing is that the projection is enrollment for white students will go down because white folks had less babies. But there are folks of different racial groups that actually continue to have babies. So the field of higher education and the students who will be coming to college will be increasingly diverse. So universities are like, the writing is on the wall, that our student populations are, and the population in the United States is going to increasingly become diverse. So if we want to be attractive to students in five or 10 years, we need to get on our game that like figures out how to be welcoming to all students. So we're trying to do those things. So Part of like my job is to host multicultural events in the building and on campus. And so we celebrated LGBTQ History Month in October. And that's not an area that I'm an expert in. Like, so I reached out to a colleague of mine that runs an LGBTQ resource center. I was like, hey, what do you do? You know, what could we do? And they recommended like hanging pride flags of all the different LGBTQ groups. And in our student center, we have big windows, like 16 big windows. So with my colleagues' help, I ordered three foot by five foot flags for pride, like all the different pride groups. And not inclusive, but like whatever. And there was some concern from the administration, like like 
we might get pushback on this. Like this might be a big deal. Like, cause we had the pit, like, you know, we had transgender flag, we had a binary flag, two spirit flag, like all of these different orientation groups. And it was interesting because all month, and I've talked to the administration's administration, we got exactly zero complaints or negative comments. But frequently I heard from students either through email or small comments, like how much it meant for them to see themselves represented and celebrated on campus. Just a little thing like that can go so far. That's the thing is like, sometimes it's like, if we want to be welcoming and we, it's not even about like my personal beliefs, like follow the numbers. 10 to 15% of our students are LGBTQ students. They may not, you know, wear a pride flag, but they're here. And so for that 10 to 15% of students to see that, and this is in Aberdeen, South Dakota, like mm-hmm. our, our young people are shifting and changing. And I think they're far more open-minded because they're connected. They're connected to different people and different worldviews. And so I think that's shifting South Dakota, but also just shifting our country. No, dude, the information is out there and you can't stop it. At least I hope you can't stop it. That's a whole different thing of internet net neutrality and all that. But like, I'm guessing growing up in rural South Dakota or rural Texas or rural anywhere in America, if you're in a town of less than 2,000 people, the amount of gay people you knew growing up in, let's just say the 60s, was likely zero. Yeah. literally likely zero until maybe the eighties. You might, there might've been one kid. And then our generation, maybe because I know Sarah knew a couple of gay kids, but like, you know, slim. Whereas now you have the internet. You are well aware that there are millions of, you know, LGBTQ plus, et cetera. They're everywhere. And you are aware of them and you can't stop people from it. So like that 15% that you have now, I, I, I know nothing in 10 years. That's going to be a higher number yep. in 30 years. That's going to be an astronomically higher number. And it's never going to settle down. That's never going to go back to zero because people aren't scared anymore. They, they have these, like, it, it's awesome. Like even in, even just in as much as religion, like South Dakota is less than a million people. There's like 200,000 are Protestants, 150,000 are Catholics, 120,000 are evangelicals, Methodists, 40%, blah, 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 blah. Like there's only like 8% of South Dakotans claim non-religious, but that's up compared to like the 1995 study where there's only 4% non-religious. So in like 20 years it's, that has gone up mm-hmm. and then another 20 years it'll go up and it, 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 even just specifically with religion, it's, it's already starting to change. Mm-hmm. And personally I give more weight behind weed than probably some do because I, I think weed is a, a catalyzing force. But that's a whole separate thing. Do you, if you don't mind, mm-hmm. Meg, uh, do, do, are you comfortable if I throw you a couple of God questions because you are not the standard South Dakota, <laughs> much like you are a vegetarian, you are not the standard South Dakota religious person as well. Yes. Awesome. All right. So just to, just to get a baseline here, do you believe in God? Um, I believe in some sort of higher source. I think the word that I usually use is the universe. Like fair. The universe. Yep. Yeah. But with no definition. Yeah. Yeah. But like God's not a dude, at least to me, God's not a dude. God doesn't have a dick. I'm sorry. God doesn't have, you know, because I, that, that, I think I said this on a different podcast or whatever. Like, yeah. but if God is a man, how big are God's balls? Like, what are we doing? So, like, let's move forward. There's a thing. Do you believe in Jesus specifically? Um, I believe in Jesus the same way that I believe in Buddha or different spiritual leaders that have existed throughout time. I think, um, I think 
sometimes, and this happens in my understanding and all the religions that I've learned about is you take somebody who was a really good human and did some really great things. And the only way to make sense of that is to make them godly or Mm. a deity Mm. or something like that. Yeah. Rather, because for me, this is the thing that I find is interesting about Jesus is like, I can be the best human I could be and I'm never going to be Jesus, right? Because he's unattainable. But why couldn't we let Jesus be human and then we could all be just as good as he is? Like, why didn't we let him have his flaws and let him be a good, like Buddha said, and not all Buddhists follow this, but he's like, I'm just a man. Like, I'm not a deity. I'm not a God. I'm a human who struggled and who found some purpose. Like, and I'm just going to share that. I'm going to share what I figured out with you. Take it or leave it. And if we look at those spiritual leaders as just people, then it's more attainable. I had a terrible joke there, but I actually really like that point. Why do we feel the need to escalate these people? Why do we feel, why can't we be happy with just, they were good people? Yeah. Why do we feel that that's something that's just humanity or, you know, whatever. That's really that's that's a really interesting question. I'd, I'd like to delve into that deeper, but we're already well past an hour, so I'm gonna try and keep this shit tight. Heaven and hell. Is there whatever comes next? Is there more than one thing? Is there a good place and a bad place, or are there a myriad of places, or are we all going, or you know, or is there nothing? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. what you got next? So, um, a lot of the like my spiritual beliefs have come from like learning about different places and learning about different different belief systems, spiritual traditions, et cetera. Like started with studying um, the philosophy of religion in college, going to a Buddhist inspired master's program. Like that's kind of been my jazz is like figuring out, trying to understand the world, spirituality, souls. Um, And I think I'm most closely aligned with like earth-based traditions, paganism. But like the interesting thing is if you look at indigenous cultures all across the all across the world pre-christianization many of them had very similar beliefs because their beliefs were based on nature like nature's right there so it doesn't matter if you're a tribe in Africa or a tribe in native like in America a native american tribe you're in nature you know so there's so many similarities when you look at spiritual belief systems pre-christianization is that it was based in following nature So that's a lot of what I found. But when it came to like souls and what happens, like for me, my belief system is that there's a spirit world and all souls go there. And the purpose of the universe, the purpose of humanity is evolution. And so I believe in reincarnation. And so like when my soul, my soul has a purpose. And when I die, my soul goes back to the spirit world into my spirit group. And I will come back to you to this realm or another realm, I'm not sure, and continue my soul's evolution. Like, and that's how we further the universe. I like that. So it's not necessarily coming back, maybe to earth, but it might not be to earth necessarily. I I mean, like, we don't even know what exists in our oceans on this planet. I don't know how we would think that we know about other dimensions or realms or things like that. Like I would never claim to know that, but like, and I don't know when people are like, how do you know that? Like I've had some experiences where I just feel like there's more than nothing. 
And like in the research I've done and learning from other people, like there seems to be a soul and souls that have experiences beyond this lifetime. And so the pieces, that's kind of how I've pieced it together between my own experience and trying to understand others. I respect fundamentally that you can't admit that you don't know, because obviously I don't know. There's no way to prove anything. And the only yeah. way to have conversations like these are both for, for whoever starts a conversation like this. I think it has to be admitted. I don't know. Yeah. If you're not willing to say, I don't know, then I don't even want to have this conversation with you. So like that, that's, but I, I like the, because that's all we have. All we have are pieces of this puzzle and it's, it's such a fragmented puzzle. I mean, you know, nobody has any more than maybe 5% max or that's a purposeless yeah. mathematical equation. Were you raised Christian? Where is your family Christian? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Most people in my family would say that they're Christian, but my mom always just told us to believe in something bigger than ourselves. Like, really? um, I mean, she was aware that some of y'all might not be Christian or she had no issue with you being not Christian. I don't even know if she, I, I don't even know if she knew that. I think she had some experiences going to church that just, there's a lot of hypocrisy in Christianity where we, where we tried to go. Like, my mom would sometimes be judged because we grew up working class or didn't have the most money. And like, we would go to church and not be the best dressed and people would comment on that. And I think for my mom, like when those comments came from people who were committing adultery on Wednesday night and then showing up to church on Sunday, but you're going to judge somebody because their clothes aren't as nice as yours. Like, I think my mom understood from those experiences, like, the people who go to church aren't necessarily the the whole Christian people. Like it's more about your daily actions, who you choose to be and what's in your heart. And so for her, it wasn't like she didn't expect us to go to church because for her, that's not what made you a good person. Like for us, she would always tell us, don't judge other people because you don't know what they're going through. And you have to believe in something bigger than yourself because life gets really hard. And if you don't believe in something bigger than yourself, how do you get through that? So like there was never any pressure I felt um, to like be Christian. Like I did explore it. I went and then I had experiences going to a Christian church that I just couldn't reconcile with myself, like with my own beliefs, like around same sex marriage. Like in college, I attended a church I really liked. And there were like three instances. They had a whole sermon about abortion. They had a whole sermon um, that's when South Dakota was trying to define marriage between a man and a woman. And there was a whole sermon about that. And then this is this was the deal breaker. This one I was like, um, I worked at a restaurant and there was one of our bartenders who'd moved to Aberdeen from Houston. And we were talking and I was like so jazzed about my church because it was contemporary. We had music, we sang. And he was like, I've been looking for a church like that sounds pretty cool. And I was like, you should come with me. Awesome. It's great. People are great. Good music, good vibes. So he comes with me. He happens to be a black man from Houston, Texas. And he happens to, I don't know how tall he is, like well over six foot. I'm five, three. I think that just matters because of the visual. So we walked into church together, this church that I've told him is so fantastic. And the experience I had that day was entirely different. The looks we got, we got comments. Um, somebody actually said, what are you doing with her? Um, people asked me if I was okay, if I needed anything. And I've been going to this church for quite a while. And I had brought plenty of other friends and I'd never had that experience. 
So it was just because he's black. Because he was black. And that's when I was like, I'm done. Like, if this is what Christianity is, like, I'm not about it. And that's when I, I took a philosophy of religion class and I started talking to people with different religions. Uh, we have in, a lot of exchange students here at Northern and I talked to students that were from China and Korea and I learned about Buddhism. And um, you, you started with this question around like, did I feel pressure to be Christian or, or like, was my family Christian? And when I selected to go to Naropa, my mom like started telling everybody that I was, you know, after I graduated, what was my plan? Like I was going to move to Colorado and go to a Buddhist school. And like, she would get so many comments, like, oh, I'm so sorry. Or like, it's just a phase, like no. condolences. And like, she would giggle and like call me and tell me. And I was like, mom, you don't have to tell people. You could just say I'm going to grad school and she yeah. took some sort of joy of like ruffling the feathers of these small town asshats by letting them know that I was going to a Buddhist school. So, have like, I ever met your mom? I, I love this woman. Yeah. I don't think I've ever met her, but I she fucking love her. She just kind of is like, I, I think, I don't think she was intended to be in South Dakota, but like life happened and this is where she's been. But like, no, it was always like, cool. Like my brother for a while was like agnostics. My, my family and my siblings have been all across the board. And my mom's like, Hey, do you believe in something that makes sense to you? That gives you purpose in life? Cause life is going to get hard. Like that's all it was. God, your, your mom needs to start her own religion. I'm, I'm game. I'll follow. <laughs> like, just don't be an asshole. <laughs> it's like, see, it's not that hard. said that to me. That's been her dating advice to me. That's been her life. <laughs> Jesus, how's that going? By the by, uh, just because I don't know how you pull out a religious talk to end the shit, but are you, are you dating at all? How's that going? I am, I am dating. Mm. I am dating mm. in a pandemic, so that's awesome. I ain't judging you, man. One of my other co-hosts, uh, Ashley. In case you're listening, to this Ashley recently went on a on a date with a celebrity. She went on with Michael Jordan. Not that's not true, but she went on with somebody that you might have known. Anyways, how how's that going for you? Um, it's it's interesting because I think um. There's two pieces to it. One is that being in South Dakota and being in Aberdeen, South Dakota, like I've just readily accepted that long distance is distance dating is what it will be. Like I've what do you sorry, what do you mean? Um, I'm not probably going to find anybody in my close proximity that I mesh with to be with. Like, you know, like people have been like, hey, my cousin, and then I'm like, no, you're not your cousin. Not ever your cousin. Um, I, as you said, I'm a vegetarian, non-Christian from South Dakota. Like I'm just not a typical South Dakotan. Um, and I don't intend on being in South Dakota long term. So I just kind of knew like dating meant would probably mean distance dating. So I've, um, yeah, I've been dating somebody from Iowa for a little bit now. So and, like on and, Zoom or like how how do you date? A lot of and that's the other thing is like one benefit I think is that dating in like this time is so quick. There's so much like instant gratification, right? Because there's like apps full of so many people. So you meet somebody, oh, yeah. you meet up, and you're like, no, that person didn't work. Swipe on to the next one, right? There's so much instant gratification where it's like. I'm, oh, I just matched with you. We're going to meet tonight and figure it out. Like, there's just so much of that. And I feel like distance dating and the pandemic requires you to slow down. 
So the person that I've been dating is from Iowa. Um, we've met in person a couple times. We've spent a couple weekends together. and But otherwise, it's like um, video chatting, phone conversations. So it kind of slows things down, which is kind of cool. It, it's old school. It, it is. It's not it's letter writing, but it's, it's mean, as much as letter writing can be in the modern age. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So awesome, it's kind man. of, it's different, but it's kind of cool. And I've heard that from other people that like, you know, there was that sort of this idea of like, either like that's just completely off the board or you have to reimagine how it is. And I, I'm interested. I wonder if anybody will do like a, a social science understanding of like hookup culture and how the pandemic impacted hookup culture. Yeah. Um, and what were like, what kind of things came from that? Like, so how we went from grinder and Tinder and all that shit of like, let's just swipe, swipe, fuck, fuck yeah. to like, Oh, uh, maybe not so much all that. Like it, that, yeah, that is interesting. Or like I've heard people who are like, for the first time I went on a date and we went for a walk. Like <laughs> we didn't, you know, like we went for a social distance walk. We didn't get shit faced at the bar and end up like yeah. at each other's places. And then shame walking home. Like I went for a walk and he's a nice guy. <laughs> we didn't take shots and grind our crotches on each other three minutes <laughs> into the night. We actually walked around and talked. What the fuck? What's that about? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's beautiful. Honestly, that's a bit like that gives me hope too. Yeah. Legal weed so in I'm, South Dakota and people actually talking. There's there's a future here. Yeah. Society's gonna be okay. Yeah. I fucking love it. Well, dude, thank you for coming on, man. I, I seriously I want to do it like an all Buddhism episode, but like I wanted to do more South Dakota shit tonight because this was just more fun. So yeah. dude, seriously, thank you for coming on, man. I yeah, thanks it. for having me. It was cool. It was good to see you. Hell dude, same, man. Cause any yeah, social distancing and such. And I'm about to drive for 10 hours with dogs. So good seeing you, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anybody else, thanks for listening and shit. And uh yeah, see y'all next time. <laughs>